Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of 1 Peter 5. Your tax-deductible contributions enable us to continue our work to restore Catholic culture and rebuild Catholic tradition. Make a real difference in the church. Go to 1peter5.com forward slash donate today. You're listening to the 1 Peter 5 podcast. It is a real joy for us. Rebuilding Catholic Culture, Restoring Catholic Tradition. My guest today is John Lillis, founder and president of the Lifeboat Coffee Company, America's premier pro-life coffee supplier. Lifeboat is also the supplier behind our very own new coffee store, 1p5coffee.com. John, welcome to the podcast. Steve, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be aboard. So... How long have you been in the coffee business? That sounds like an infomercial in itself. <laughs> Best so, of all, it's not sticky. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Um, we started Lifeboat Coffee in the summer of 2013. So we're headed for our third birthday, and we're excited to be a part of 1 Peter 5 in this way, to private label coffee to help your apostolate grow. Awesome. So, man, it's only been that many years. I swear I've seen you guys around for longer than that. But It feels longer. Time flies. So, well, talk to me about life, but what does it mean to be a pro-life coffee company? I'll tell you, fundamentally, it means we get involved in every aspect of the pro-life movement. And some people might say, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, my good friend Bobby Schindler had his sister, Terry Scheibel, murdered in 2005. Yeah. And... So we get involved in not just abortion, but the struggles of the infirm, the handicapped, the elderly, uh, people who are impoverished, and most of all, the pro-life work of saving souls. We support a lot of different parishes. Mm-hmm. We support uh, some non-Catholic churches. I mean, everybody's Christian and working towards the highest fulfillment of their relationship with Christ, and we respect that. And they love coffee, so we have to respect that. Um, so we're involved in every part of the the circle of life or whatever you want to call it that anything that promotes life authentically, mm-hmm. we're going to get behind it. And what that means for your listeners in particular here is for one Peter five coffee, when they buy the coffee, it's amazing coffee. We have lifelong family friends at roast cup blend. They've been doing it for 35 years. So the The coffee is a slam dunk, and we're very proud of the coffee. But it means that when they buy the coffee, we ship it to them, they drink it, you get those hard-earned monthly dollars that nonprofits crave so much. And we made the pledge a long time ago to all of our nonprofits that we work with, and right now it's about 100 different groups in America we send checks to. So, And we're very proud of that too. But we never promise them riches, but as you know, uh, Steve, from running a nonprofit, it's that steady monthly income. Yeah. And we'd like to be able to, most of the groups, if we're just honest with ourselves, most of the groups earn between that 5 and $10 a month when they're at that top level. And some of the bigger groups that we private label for, they might have $1,500, $1,600 a month in sales, mm-hmm. uh, which would net them several hundred dollars a month in support because we try to beat the shipping game. It's a complicated formula for uh, explanation on the radio, but yeah. it, what it means is 
the more that folks get behind it and they drink coffee any day, every day anyway, right. the, the more support you'll get each month uh, in order to help 1 Peter 5 stay, not just stay afloat, but flourish. And I think you'll agree that that monthly income is what helps that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's this is a difficult business to be in because uh, creating stable revenue streams is obviously the, the big complication for nonprofits. Donations are fantastic, and they're what keeps it going. But some months you have enough to pay the bills, and some months you don't. And and so bringing in those those consistent things are definitely a big help. But I want to be clear, too. I didn't just have you on just because we opened our store. I think... The story of what you're doing is interesting, and we've just been talking a lot and uh, because of setting up the store, and I started thinking, you know, you're a guy I want to talk to because I really like to highlight businesses that I think are operating, you know, under ethical prison, uh, principles, and, and I like to see these Catholic success stories, basically. So, you appreciate know, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, I want to get back down to fundamentals a little bit. You know, you talked about some of the work that you do, but what are the three principles that your company is built on? I'm glad you asked that question, and I, I might, we might have to take a journey back in time just a little bit to explain to the listeners how it all started. But, okay, that's fine. Uh, really, the, the principles are all human life is sacred, beautiful, and deserving of protection from natural conception and natural death, and there's no exception and no compromise to that. Mm-hmm. Um, all of our coffees are ethically sourced, they're sustainable, and they have a superior quality and taste. And thirdly... We give 10% of every purchase through the retail store back to the pro-life charity of your choice, which is so unique. We don't just say, oh, buy this thing and we'll give money to this cause, a lot like uh, you see many, many nonprofits do. We say, let's put the power back to the people and let them make the choice. So those are the three core principles upon which we're founded. But to go back in time just a little bit to help folks understand why we did this, I, I think it's important, too. Uh, you and I share an alma mater, the Franciscan University of Steubenville. Yes, we, was, dis- we discovered that when we met at the March for Life last year. Right, yeah. So as it turns out, um, I was 26 when I started there in 1993, mm-hmm. but I still get out ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> More to the point is I got caught fire to say, okay, let's share this because – I mean, Scripture says you keep something hidden under a bushel basket, it's going to be taken away anyway. So let's not hide it. So I got jumped in with both feet and went to Fox News here in Phoenix mm-hmm. uh, in 1997. And then I went all over the place, spent 20 years inside of Catholic media, privately had my own nonprofits, did a lot of things, and spent the last 15 years doing nonprofit Catholic radio in particular. And while I was in Sioux City, Iowa, working full-time in radio, I came across a pro-life resource center called Mary's Choice, still there today, that shares a parking lot with Planned Parenthood, Mm -hmm. where at that time they were killing 15 to 20 babies once a month on Tuesdays. Oh, my gosh. In Sioux City, Iowa, and I thought, this is outrageous. So I went in, I talked to the people, and they had... With the Knights of Columbus, they had converted the front end of their property, and it was very nice. The Knights did a great job. No one does more pro-life work than the Knights of Columbus financially and on the ground. They just have such a great institution for that, and they did a great job. But they own this whole building adjacent to this property of Planned Parenthood, and the rest of the building was completely empty. So, of course, my little wheels started turning, (laughs) and I said to them, hey, can I have the back end 
what used to be somebody's raised office in a, it looked like an old car garage. I said, can I have that back end? I'll get some volunteers together. Um, I've been building radio stations and homes and decks and rooms for 30 years. Can I get involved? And we'll, I will free of charge build a radio studio. I'll knock out this block wall. We'll put in a window. We'll put in radio equipment, and we'll go live. We'll have America's first ever frontline pro-life radio program right here in Sioux City. And they're like, oh, you're crazy, but if you think you can do it, go ahead. So sure enough, I got a trailer. I brought my tools to Sioux City. And I spent several months with volunteers building this radio studio. And the the radio station, I was the manager of the station, so I didn't have to ask myself. But I had to go to the board of directors. And that board of directors talked to the pro-life board of directors. And they agreed that we could do this program. And so we started this radio program called Tuesdays with Mommy. And I got that, of course, from Tuesdays with Maury. Uh, about dying guy you know so these women are there taking their kids to die Mm. and i felt the first day i felt it was a bit like the hindenburg you know oh the humanity (laughs) and uh watching i mean seriously watching these young girls by and large go in by themselves but being able to this is what blows me away steve and this was the excitement of it was praying you know sioux city's got a potential listening audience of maybe 100,000 people. So if you took a small percentage of that, let's say we had five to 7,000 people listening at any given time mm-hmm. who were who were praying with me. Like, we'd stop. And you're literally live broadcasting what you're seeing out the window. Exactly. Wow. I'd say, here comes little Susie Q. She's wearing a pink hoodie. She's got her eyes face down. She's bawling. She's sitting on the curb. I mean, we were going through every detail. Oh, my God. Especially when the doctors were pulling in. You know, we'd read out the car. We'd pray for this doctor. You know, Lord, turn her heart. And if you can't turn her heart, turn her ankle so we'll know her by her limb. <laughs> you know, everything. I mean, we right. were just going for it, right. you know. And it was powerful. And people, I was like, okay, you got to take a break because the first day we were, like, live for four hours. Wow. So I went outside, and the sidewalk was full of people. Wow. And they were saying, hey, were you that was that you on the radio? And I said, yeah. One lady said, our family drove 100 miles to be here with you today and pray. I said, get out of here. That's incredible. Yeah. I said, praise God for that. So we had, uh, it only happened once a month that Planned Parenthood would kill the babies, which is awful enough. But my point is, we only did the program once a month, but it just grew and grew and grew. And this, after about three months of doing the program, and that's only three shows, you know, so what would happen was people were like, well, we want more. So we started doing the show even when they weren't killing the babies. Mm-hmm. We just we just prayed. And a few months into this anyway, maybe three, four months in, we had done more shows. It really makes me laugh thinking back on it, but Planned Parenthood went out and spent $60,000, and they put up a fence, uh, a solid fence between So you couldn't them. see. So we couldn't see. <laughs> but they got the message. But here's the funniest thing. Being a builder or any man listening today knows what building materials matter. So they put up a green wood fence and they abutted the boards next to each other. And so in a month, the wood had dried out. You could see right through it. (laughs) So, I mean, you couldn't see perfectly, but you could literally see right through it because the fence was closer to us than it was to them. So they spent all this money, which made me laugh, and they defeated their own purpose. So we continued the broadcast. So... And this is early 2013, uh, going into like April, and 
suddenly the boards of directors from both sides met and said, no one's paying for this program. And I said, hey, look, I, your guys are going to really upset me here because who cares? You know, I'm being paid a salary by the radio station. The pro-life group is putting up the space to do the show for free. People are praying. Babies are being saved by the power yeah, of the Yeah, what's Holy the Spirit. loss there? Yeah, we're, you know, but, but here we have the evils of uh, people with short-sightedness stepping in and they didn't, they didn't, they couldn't find a way to pay for it. So there's still now the front of the, just to bring people up to speed, Mary's Choice in Sioux City has this beautiful front and now a beautiful radio studio in the back with, I want to call it maybe 3,000 square feet in between the two places, you wow. know, that is just empty. So I brought up a third proposal and this is the punchline for Lifeboat Coffee. I said, we can, I will get volunteers and I will raise the money and I will make the calls and we will build you a coffee shop. We'll call it Lifeboat Coffee and we'll be self-supportive. And people, you have the volunteers bake the cookies and we'll find the coffee. And as it turns out at the time, one of the radio sponsors was the Daily Brew in downtown Sioux City, which is now out of business, but they could have provided the coffee. Mm-hmm. And it would have been self-supportive. So as, this is the great part. This is the powerful part of the story. I reached out on the radio and I asked people to help. And they did. We got, we framed it. We wired it. We lighted it. We had uh, the Boatman family. If you're listening from the Sioux City area, Kurt uh, Boatman and his family, Boatman Tile, support them. Because you know what he did? He took, he and his sons took a week off from work. They came in and put in a beautiful Italian porcelain floor which I called Doll Tile in Texas for, and on the strength of my phone call, Steve, they donated a thousand square feet wow. of porcelain tile. Wow! And so, uh, go go Doll Tile, go uh, Boatman Tile, and they also donated granite countertops to install in this beautiful place that we had built. So, uh, I don't know if, how many folks you have uh, tuned in from the Sioux City area, but kudos to the Boatman family. Uh, great work at Mary's Choice. Um, and here's the thing about Mary's Choice. To this day, it's situated between Western Iowa Tech and Morningside College, a perfect place to kill babies because you're between two colleges, but it mm. also would have been a perfect place to have a coffee shop. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I said, you know, we'll have free Wi-Fi. You have the volunteers bake the cookies under the nonprofit baking clause. Every state says that basically nonprofits can bake stuff and sell it without a commercial kitchen, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, but here's what happened, and us. This is sad. They all said no. We don't want to do it. And uh, at the time, it was very disheartening. They we built the place, and they didn't want to do it. You know, it's a subject for another podcast. But I honestly believe that nothing works against the pro life movement more than the pro life movement. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And we'll pay, we'll take that up because there's so much work to do in this arena. But but I was so disheartened. We had at the same time a contract disagreement with the radio station. They um, wanted me to work more and get less money, things of that nature. So, and Omaha, Nebraska is a, exactly a hundred miles from Sioux city. So I was literally away from home four days a week doing this. Anyway, I talked to my wife. I said, you know, the truth is lifeboat coffee could live on its own and support pro-life groups everywhere. We don't, need just one shop we could we could do it anywhere we could do it for lots of groups and you know 
wives being who they are and God love them, she's like, well, how much money will you make? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, we haven't done it yet. <laughs> but <laughs> why are women so pragmatic? I just, I don't know. We, I have, don't the, we have these quixotic ideals that we have to pursue. <laughs> I mean, come on. I know. So anyway, food on the table. What? I know. And you know, you and I share the, the wife, seven kids story. So yeah. we're really simpatico here, but, but at the same time, I, you know, I said we have to be free. You know, I, I feel like uh, that song, is it Bob Marley? I got to be free. Anyway, but <laughs> uh, no, we have to be able to be free to, you know, go hunt and gather and do these things. And so we said, let's look into it. Let's see what we can do. I mean, I, I can always work a day job and do this at night or build a website or whatever it's going to turn out to be. So that summer, uh, my brother-in-law uh, started out uh, just doing a lot of research we found some coffee companies. We started a national taste test. I met with a lot of pro-life leaders. I met face-to-face with folks like Father Frank Favone, a good friend of mine. I say, hey, Father Frank, see this bag of coffee? Every time somebody buys a bag of coffee for Priest for Life, you're going to get a dollar. And that's how we originally had phrased it. Right. And he said, that's great. You know, uh, let's do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And this is face-to-face. I'm like, great. I got my first affiliate. It's going to be... Father Frank Favone and Priest for Life, right? And uh, so he's on board, and I think, boy, this is a home run. You know, start with Priest for Life, and the world's my oyster. And a few weeks into the uh, launch in November of 2013, we had a coffee, we had a website, we had some people doing some web advertising, and I'm getting ready to, you know, put out the fact that we're going to be doing uh, Priest for Life coffee or your purchase will support Priest for Life, that kind of thing. And I get an email from the lawyers at Priest for Life. Mm. We're not doing Priest for Life. I said, oh, okay. Why not? Uh, we're just not. Can't do it. I said, but Father Frank said yes. Well, we're saying no. <laughs> I said, okay. So back to your point about pro-life yeah. groups. But uh, it was a big disappointment. We thought, okay, so, God, you know, if you want us to support groups, we're going to have to break through this barrier and just do it, you know, like whatever. So we just started plugging away at the web. Instead of trying to rely on one group as an anchor, we just said, look, you pick your group. Go. And you know what? That idea stuck. So, you know, Holy Spirit worked through kind of the top issues for us. And ever since Christmas time or January of 2014, when you and I ran into each other at the at the Dubliner in D.C., uh, not that people meet there after the march. No, anything, but no, nobody goes there. No, it's empty. It's too bad, you know. But anyway, uh, since that time, we just opened it up to you support the pro-life group that you want to support. And God has blessed us with, you know, about 100 different groups we send checks to every year. So and that that's how it all kind of came to be and worked through that first several months, that first uh, year. But. I st- and and so we now have a foundation as well um, to back up the ten percent part. So this year, it's new. The foundation, almost all the T's are crossed and the I's dotted now. But what we're doing is instead of you just being able to name it, let's say, and most of I have to be just upfront here. A lot of the traffic that comes through the website, people don't bother naming a pro-life group. They're just like ah, whatever, just. We love your company. We love what you do. We want to help you build your company. I'm like, great, okay. But we want to make the commitment to make sure every 
uh, gets into pro-life work. So we have this foundation. We've been working on it for a while. It'll go public here probably in a few weeks, whereby every purchase just gets funneled into the foundation. And then each year, this is a coup for me. I, I've stolen a pro-life director from the Knights of Columbus who administered uh, the pro-life program from a major Midwestern state, and they, for five years, you know, gave out grants on behalf of the Knights of Columbus. So we've stolen them away from the Knights, only because he was going to become a deacon, not because he's not a knight, but he can't do that other program. But he's going to administer the grants, and once a year, we'll open up a grant window. And, and pro-life groups that want to help themselves, Steve, we're going to give them a grant. And our biggest grant for now will be about $1,500, and we'll give out uh, one of those and then probably three smaller grants for $500. But groups, uh, for instance, that want to open a coffee shop or a thrift shop, uh, shop or want to have a magazine sale or a cookie sale or some, some kind of permanent thing to help themselves, we're going to give them a grant to help them get started. And that's, that's the great. nature of the new foundation. So we're excited about that this year. 2016 should be our biggest year yet. We've had really great growth year over year in the first two point two five years and not enough for me to quit a full-time day job yet but god willing 2016 will be that year we've got lots of new things uh in fact the national lawyers association i'm very proud to announce uh, which is the pro-life bar association i don't know if you've ever seen their website nla.org that's november lima alpha.org they're uh, several years old they have the best guests and members but they are the Pro-Life Bar Association. They've hired me to do a brand-new radio program, and we're going to be actually on, God willing, we're close to being on an actual radio station here in Phoenix, KFNX, 1100 AM, Wednesdays at 3, but it'll be a podcast uh, accompaniment no matter what, at NLA.org, Voice of Justice. That's from the Declaration of Independence, but... A lot of things moving in concert because it's a pro-life program, Steve, where I'm going to be interviewing people like, you know, Justice Clarence Thomas, for instance. They have all kinds of connections to the people um, that are lawyers, you know, uh, who make a difference in lots of Franciscan University of Student names that you'd recognize. But people from all over the country that are trying to make a difference. That's excellent. Yeah, and it should be good. And it, hopefully uh, it'll be brought to you in part, of course, by Lifeboat Coffee. But more importantly, it'll be more of the national conversation about the pro-life issues because we need to just continue to have the conversation. What happens is, and I think this is the bane of the pro-life movement we can get into in another program, but, you know, the God told me to do it this way and I'm never going to talk to you, whereas the enemy strategizes and has talking points and they'll just regurgitate them ad nauseum and we'll all just kind of say boy aren't they unified yeah because they all say the same thing yeah and 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 we can't do that um so we're hoping that we can help build a voice just a, a consistent voice that we can help maybe even someday have leadership seminars where we envision pro-life leaders coming together and and I would just MC and kind of facilitate it where people can actually make a plan. Like, what are you going to say this year? I'll give you a classic example, and it's going on in Oklahoma right now. The abolitionist movement wants to make abortion murder in Oklahoma. And you and I would say, gosh, you know, I'm an abolitionist. I believe in that. Uh, but unfortunately, the abolitionists call you and I papists and dogs and people who don't believe in God and won't work with us. And, and so 
they don't have other people are saying, well, the, the national right to life people are throwing them under the bus and they won't work with Catholics. And you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, look, we have no message discipline. We this is why and I've written about this in the past, but this is why years ago I kind of gave up on the March for Life because it felt absolutely chaotic. I mean, I would go there. Some people are praying the rosary. Other people are shouting. Other people are chanting. Other people are singing these songs. Everybody's doing their own thing. They all seemed like they were at odds with each other. We had people on the sidelines. You know, like, you know, now you have, they're a little bit more savvy with the Genocide Awareness Project. But you used to have these just old guys with pictures of aborted babies standing on the side, pointing them toward us, yelling that abortion's murder. And it's like... We know that's why we're here. That's why we came, you know. And it <laughs> right. just—it all felt like we were just all working against each other. Well, and the other sense that I've gotten, and I've been there over the last twenty years. I've probably been there fourteen times, and I do it because I, I want to exercise my First Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. That's chief among. I want to. I want Americans to realize. We must continue to exercise our rights in order to retain them. So I go there chiefly to be a part of a First Amendment reality. We can do this, okay? And then secondarily, obviously, we're pro-life. But but when you get there, it's almost a party. And yeah. I've, I've spoken to the leadership. Uh, God rest your soul. Nellie Gray and I were friends in the movement. We often had late-night telephone conversations about building unity in the pro-life movement under the banner of no exception, no compromise, which is very difficult for a lot of people, uh, including National Right to Life and others uh, inside the USCCB, for instance. Right. Um, However, I guess my point is getting there and being there and seeing that it's not a solemn occasion. It's more of a, gosh, look what we got to do. I have mixed feelings about it again. Not that I don't want to exercise my rights. Not that I don't think it's awesome for the show of force. And not that I don't think it's the largest unified, uh, longest-running unified civil rights movement in history that's been ignored by the media. It's not that I don't believe any of that. It's just that I'll give you an example. I won't name names here, but once upon a time, a couple of years ago, I was asked by the an acting official. I won't. I have to be careful here. Someone um, at or near the top of the March for Life if I wanted a cup of coffee, which I thought was ironic since we had 500 pounds of lifeboat coffee at the Hyatt Regency, but the union said we couldn't make any coffee because that would be illegal, you know, violating the union rules. Mm -hmm. So this person at or near the top of the leadership chain of March for Life asked me if I wanted coffee. I said, sure, I'd love to have a cup of coffee and continue talking to you about the pro-life issues. Some 15 minutes later, this person reemerged and had two of these coffees handed it to me, and they were Starbucks coffee. And I was dumbfounded uh, because this is, you know, right on the heels of the revelation that Starbucks coffee not only supports anti-marriage issues in the United States, but also actively contributes to Planned Parenthood. I mean, so this kind of, uh, and I'm not going to call it doublespeak, but it's sort of a letting your wallet speak louder than your mouth does philosophy is also systemic throughout the pro-life movement. I'll give you another one. I'm going to, I'm going to name an organization. I tried for years to get uh, into focus the fellowship of Catholic university students, because I wanted to be able to provide um, 
coffee kiosks on college campuses throughout the United States. And I had several high-level meetings, never with Curtis Martin, who is an honorable man. I know Curtis from Studeville, but with some underlings. And all these underlings not only wanted a percentage of the cut of profits before I was even able to speak to people at college campuses, but they went so far as to reveal that their books, uh, they have to meet in a couple different places. They meet at bars and they meet at coffee shops in order to evangelize. And they spend, by their own admission, two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand dollars a year at their management level at Starbucks. Jeez, right. And so, when I learned about these things and I try to make a difference in these things, it goes back to your original point. The pro life movement is great um, at certain things and horrible at unity and message. Because what message does that send when you've got the leader of the pro life? group in D.C. and focus going around buying Starbucks coffee, you know, all the while, you know, speaking with fork and tongue, we have to save babies and do these other things. Yeah, I mean, I'm a pragmatist. I get it if you don't have any other options, if there's no coffee shop to go to that is providing an alternative. But that's exactly what you're trying to do. Yeah, but moreover, I guess, and I hate to say it in these stronger terms, but Starbucks is a horse of a different stripe. I mean, we're not talking about the difference between Dunkin' Donuts and and Caribou Coffee. We're talking about an activist company. You know, Starbucks is not just a coffee company. It's an activist company. In the same way, Lifeboat Coffee is an activist company. We're activists. We are actively trying to change the culture for good, and Starbucks is actively trying to change the culture for bad. I mean, they several years ago got busted in many of states. They had coffee cups with uh, blasphemous uh, Bible quotes on them saying like, blessed are the sluts for they shall screw the for earth. For real? Oh yeah, for real. Yeah, yeah. That's not, that's for real. And they, they got, uh, you know, the marriage issue in America is huge. You know, recently, obviously they're in front of that big time. Yep. Yep. Um, but the, but the connection back to Planned Parenthood, they're very proud of. In fact, Planned Parenthood and Starbucks released a joint video. I wish I could dig it up and give you the link for it many years ago now on overpopulation in Africa and how Starbucks was contributing to abortion and sterilization through Planned Parenthood in Africa. So See, I was I was always under the impression that their contributions to things like Planned Parenthood were because they just had employee matching. Like any 501c3 no. or C6 that you gave money to, they would match those contributions. I was not aware that there was an active... Yeah, active no, campaign. I mean, both. It's it's not either or in their case. It's and both. They do both, and they're very good at both. And I w- I'm going to try to dig up that Planned Parenthood video for you. It's insidious, uh, but they're also. But I guess what I'm saying is, by and large, if you take the pulse of their culture, go to their website, go to their foundation, you can see that they are an activist company, but they're on the other side of the activist equation from Lifeboat Coffee. So. I guess I know what you're saying, and I know that's the defense that these people in high places take. That well, well I mean, I can I mean I can tell you as a pragmatist who I mean, if I'm looking for coffee and there's nowhere else to go, I'll go there. I will. I know because I'm there to buy coffee. I'm not there to support their ideology, and I'm not spending even twenty dollars a month. But I mean, I'll go if I'm on a road trip and that's the only place I can stop to get good coffee. I'll stop. But at the same time, if I can support something else, I want an alternative. I need right. No, and I, I guess that's true. I mean, obviously, material cooperation notwithstanding, you're not doing that. I get that. I mean, I, and I do understand that. I just the thing that people in the leadership positions, 
I guess I wouldn't expect you then to go out on one Peter five with your picture of Starbucks and say how great that is. No, no, I mean, I'm absolutely not going to do that. Yeah. But uh, you, I guess we're saying the same thing, just in a different vein of things. I just wanted, I want focus and I want March for life to have an alternative. And that means that we're going to have to grow the company to a point where it's a legitimate alternative in this culture war. But I definitely believe it's a war. So from my vantage point, I don't want Steve Skojic ever to go to Starbucks again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but 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 again, you know, like uh, we have now a local coffee shop with a local roaster here in town, and I'll go out of my way to go there instead of going to Starbucks. It's not like, you know, I, I pick Starbucks as my first choice. I mean, obviously, no, I know, I know. You know, that's just not. But I mean, this is one of those issues where, again, I you know, it, it, it's a side conversation. You know, the effectiveness of of boycotts and the politicization of companies. You know, we exist, you and I exist, to promote a certain agenda. Ostensibly, these other companies don't, and yet, you know, this corporate do-gooderism, so to speak, they wind up supporting all the wrong things. And I absolutely support people who say, well, I'm just not going to go. And, and yeah. for the most part, I don't. I don't. But, you know, some old habits die hard. I, <laughs> I, I, yes, they do. They do indeed. All right, so... So, hey, I want to talk to you, though, before you go, because I know you're pressed for time. I want to talk to you about the coffee itself. You know, so yeah, actually, yeah, this, is, did, yeah. this is one of the big complaints about Starbucks. People don't like their coffee. They say that, you know, it's burned or whatever else. You know, there's a few Catholic roasters out there that sell coffee, all worthwhile. I used to promote the monks uh, until you hounded me for a year. <laughs> <laughs> Your persistence paid off, you know. Thank but you, you. But I would like to know what sets, what sets your coffee apart? Because you know, some people are going to think, oh, this is a gimmick to raise money for pro-life causes. Are you serious about coffee quality? And, I mean, I've got access to some great stuff from good roasters in this area. This this D.C., North Atlantic, you know, region, mid-Atlantic region has been the home for the, the Barista Championships and the Specialty Coffee Association of America, the whole third wave coffee thing. I mean, they're kind of obsessed about coffee quality. So talk to me about the quality and and something I meant to, to ask you about earlier, but we kind of got off track, you know, what it means pro-life-wise for ethical sourcing of coffee. Yes, a great fundamental question. You know, when we first started out, I told you in the beginning of this program, we did a national taste test. We narrowed it down to two national roasters, one better known in the Midwest and one not known at all because they do the back end of a lot of different companies. And the winner of the taste test well, the top two were the winners of the broader taste test, but the top two that tested out, one was slightly too expensive and one was closer to me. And so we went with the second closer to me originally. And the first that actually won the taste test um, by a large, like 70, 80% margin, uh, turned out to be the one we were we've been using for the last, uh, I want to say, year and a half. And there, that this company, um, we switched coffee lines, number one. It's a funny story. This company in the Midwest, um, so-called Christian company, started out, great relationship, but I started, you know, the pro-life thing. They, they started getting kind of uneasy about the way we were marketing our coffee, even though it was private labeled from them. They did all the labeling and whatnot. Um, they got uneasy with it, and they, I had a meeting with their ownership, and they're like, well, you know, you don't really do enough volume to warrant the kind of pricing that we give you. And I said, yeah, but I thought you made a commitment 
for the pricing so that we could get the company off the ground and promote pro-life. They're like, yeah, but, you know, you've been talking about uh, no exceptions. And anyway, the relationship went on the rock. So I went back to the first company who's here in Arizona, and I said, look, you know, we've got to do something about your price. You know, you and here's where we are. And so we talked, and I came out here, we met with them, and we got the price thing worked out. And here's where the people are drinking Lipo coffee today are, the last year and a half have been drinking this coffee that's my wife grew up with this family here in Phoenix, okay? And their family has been direct sourcing this coffee from all over the world for 35 years. So they find the coffee, they blend the coffee beans, make sure that it has an annual consistency. They roast it, they cup it, they taste it, they repeat. And they bring in coffees from the whole coffee growing region of the world with the exception of Vietnam but I'm working on some Vietnamese coffee right now myself so the quality I mean there's lots of ways to rate the quality we call it ultra premium because our roasts in the tier that we sell at ultra premium level are the finest blends and when we say they're ethically sourced it means that they're either direct trade coffees we feature some coffees that we buy directly through the company through the farmers themselves. There's a lot of fair trade, which, as you know, fair trade means on the exchange, whatever, whoever, whatever producers participate in the exchange under the fair trade program, they're automatically guaranteed 20 cents per pound greater than the going exchange price. And what's important for the listeners to know is why fair trade and all that started was precisely because of MJB, Folgers, Starbucks. Uh, you know, the giant coffee producers of the world were basically saying to the producers, we're only going to give you a few cents per pound for your coffee. Yeah, this isn't just, you know, this is not just some liberal, yuppie, organic, you know, whatever. I mean, this is about how people make a living. And, and a lot of these guys working in coffee farming are basically slave laborers. They are. And and so the the, the regular exchange, there's several coffee exchanges, but let's just use Seattle as a as a benchmark, you know, the open exchange is a fair marketplace where somebody like Starbucks come in and say, Hey, we're looking for coffee at 10 cents a pound. And the exchange would say, well, it doesn't exist because this is the fair going rate. So they go around the exchange. They don't, they don't even participate. You know, it's all the people in the small, the medium sized companies that participate. So everything that's bought off the exchange, which is about a third of our coffees is, is fair and ethical. But the rest of our coffees, the other two-thirds, are all bought under either a direct trade or fair trade program only because here's the thing about coffee producers. Most of them only work about five acres of land or less, and that's because it's, a, it's really a family thing for them. So when they participate in the fair trade program, they can earn a little better than the exchange rate, and that's good for them because they're small. And the direct trade is even better because they know what the exchange fair trade price is. Like our Ethiopian kosher is expensive, but it's worth it. I mean, it's grown at like 6,000 feet on the side of Kilimanjaro. You know, it's crazy coffee like that, but it's really good. Um, and that so, matters. I mean, you know, th this is a subject for another time, but – but I mean, just like with with wines, where coffee is grown, the soil, the acidity, the the moisture, the precipitation—I mean, all these things, the nutrients in the soil—these are factors that change the the character and the flavor and the taste. Absolutely. So we have coffees grown by the sea, 
at altitude, like in Guatemala, about a half mile up the mountainside in Guatemala on the ocean. That's a different coffee uh, than you're going to get that was grown down in the lower plains of Colombia. A lot of the Colombian coffee comes from the mountain regions, which is beautiful, good coffee. And then there's some, I mean, it's all in the coffee lands, but all Colombian coffee is not the same. We have, so let me do the quick rundown and then I do have the jet, but we have uh, Colombian coffees, several varieties. We have Guatemalan. We have some El Salvadorian gold. We've got Sumatran coffee. I've got a rare uh, Peruvian coffee. My Sumatran coffee is a rare preserve coffee. In other words, there's a mountain preserve. The government only allows a certain amount of coffee to be grown there each year. Our company buys it through our roaster, and we get it roasted. It's pretty amazing, too. Uh, so uh, what I say? Guatemala, Ethiopia, uh, uh, El Salvador, uh Colombia, Peru, uh, some of the countries to name a few. And then, of course, most of the coffees that you drink are blended coffees. Like they're probably got some Brazil in them. Uh, there's some Colombia mixed into it. We have a few of those, too. They're amazing tasting. I mean, ultimately, you're after great tasting coffee. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a great – if you go to the website, lifeofcoffee.com, you can shop by origin. You can shop by roast. You can shop by a number of different means, but if you have to have a, a certain thing, you could shop it that way. When you pick uh, your coffees at 1 Peter 5, you have uh, the coffees are labeled either Colombian or blended coffee. They're super amazing. They were all picked for taste, and I think that's what we're going for for most of the customers is an awesome taste. Let me ask you a couple more quick questions before you run. So one of the big questions I've gotten since we started 1P5 Coffee is, and it's going to work at cross purposes to the quality question, but people want to know, do you offer K-Cups? This is like this huge thing now. Yeah, well, the answer is yes and no. So we have, we have a relationship with a roaster in Oceanside, New York, that does our family gourmet blends, which are delicious, uh, but they don't cost me as much money. Uh, the little secret is this roaster is the same roaster that does Costco coffee, mm. uh, but they found out about us and give us a great price on bulk coffee. I got to buy a lot of it at a time, but I'm able to offer the family gourmet blends, which are very tasty at a significantly lower price uh, so that a family can buy a two pound bag and get it shipped for around 20 bucks, which is really good. Yeah. Uh, so this same roaster does have K cups. And we have sold K-Cups. The problem is inventory control. They make us buy a boatload, pun intended, of K-Cups. And we sell the bejesus out of dark and medium. But we don't sell hazelnut and decaf and other things that we have to buy when we buy it. So I'm, in, I'm at a crossroads. I want to say yes. I feel like Justin Bieber. I want to say yes, but I have to say no. <laughs> no man should know. ever feel like Justin Bieber. That's just <laughs> not something that should happen. No. So uh, we're, here's the deal. We're working on a special inside deal with a major uh, set of crisis pregnancy centers in California. And if they say yes to the K-Cup program because they all they have is K-Cup machines, then we will once again retail K-Cups because it will justify me buying the volume that I need to. In the short term, I could provide K-Cups um, 
the same way that people do at the local grocery store. You know, they buy it from Costco and they resell it to you. So if your customers need K-Cups and they, uh, you know, let's say we had a dark and a medium, I can make those available on the website. And that's what I'm hearing. And, you know, I'm not a fan of them, but I do get it. I mean, we had them in the office and they are convenient. They're convenient, but I have to say this for the record. They they don't taste good. No, they don't taste nearly as good. And uh, the reason is, and I'll let your listeners in on a little secret, we used to manufacture our own K-Cups out of real coffee. And you have to, there's somewhere between fine and espresso in the grinder, and we found the sweet spot to make them work. Now, and they're okay. What happens is it builds a lot of back pressure. So in order for K-Cup manufacturers to have coffee that won't blow up in your machine, they ionize the coffee and then add back things like, baking powder and stabilizer and colors and flavor drops all in the form of i guess what i'm saying is a lot of what's in a k-cup is not coffee mm. because i didn't know that it's it's bizarre but true story they have to it's a special process and a lot of roasters in fact our current family friend roasters won't do k-cups precisely because you have to significantly change the coffee to get it to work yeah that makes sense. So we will work on making sure that you have dark and medium and decaf available for your customers who drink K-Cups. Um, and we will work on bringing them back to the retail store as well. But we're, I'm very grateful for 1 Peter 5, all the work that you do, the tireless efforts to hold the line. I think uh, you are at the top of uh, a short list of men in our country that are trying to hold the line for not just the Republic, but for Holy Mother Church. You know, it's been a century, two, uh, 150 years since uh, Mr. Carroll signed the Declaration of Independence. It took us to get a little respect in America as, <laughs> as Catholics. And, yeah, now, that's true. and now we're, we're losing it all again. You know, one of the greatest little books to read, I think, was uh, Render Unto Caesar from uh, Archbishop Chaput. Uh, I didn't agree with his conclusion, but I did enjoy the book about Americans or uh, Catholic American history. And what we're finding today is, of course, uh, we're under attack. So we're happy to support 1 Peter 5 with 1 Peter 5 Coffee, and that's at 1p5coffee.com. That's correct. So 1p5coffee.com if you want to order from us, if you want to check out Lifeboat, they're at lifeboatcoffee.com. John, thank you so much for taking the time to be on with me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Steve. God bless you and God bless your family and God bless America. All right, take care. You have been listening to the 1 Peter 5 podcast. This has been a production of 1 Peter 5 Incorporated, copyright 2016, all rights reserved. Please remember to visit us online at www.1peter5.com. You can join our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash 1 Peter 5. And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash, you guessed it, 1Peter5. If you feel we have provided you with something of value, please hit our donate page located at 1Peter5.com forward slash donate and make a contribution. It's tax deductible and not only helps pay for our web hosting and the fine content we provide, but keeps food on our tables, coffee in our cups, and the lights on, which really helps us see what we're doing. Until next time. I'm Steve Skojak. Thanks for listening.